0: You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, it's full of corruption and intrigue. Pacifica Radio's KPFK in Los Angeles. This is the broadcast as heard on 90.7 FM in LA. 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Oregon Central Coast. Coast to coast and around the globe on KPFK.org on the Progressive Voices channel on Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, and Radio Sputnik, five days a week. You can run, but you can't hide. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow. From bradblog.com, thank you for joining us for another action-packed adventure today. And boy, how do you do? We have one. Uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who was just elect- elected last November, took the... Uh, Took the old job of the new governor, Greg Abbott. Uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton was arrested and booked today on three counts of felony securities law violations. Felony securities fraud that could uh, end up with if he's found guilty on all three. Well, a first degree, two of the charges are first degree fraud charges. Third one is a third degree felony, I believe. But uh, first degree fraud in Texas can earn you life in jail, life in prison. So uh, the attorney general, the top law enforcement officer in the state of Texas, is now looking at life in prison. As of today, we will be speaking with Chuck Lindell of the Austin American Statesman about that, about those indictments which uh, came down today. An amazing story and made even more amazing because, as I said, he took the job of Greg Abbott. Who was the former attorney general? Greg Abbott is now the governor. Who took the job of Rick Perry, who had been until Rick Perry uh, decided not to run. He had been the longest running, uh, longest serving governor in the state of Texas. Rick Perry is now, as I'm sure you know, running for the Republican nomination. And Rick Perry is also facing facing felony indictment at this point. So it's just amazing uh, the uh, law and order down in Texas. <laughs> Just, well, anyway, we'll talk with uh, Chuck Lindell about all of that in a bit. Also today, President Obama came out with—how uh, do we describe this, Desi Doyen? His—
1: His new clean power yeah. plan rules, the largest, most historic landmark rules for cutting carbon emissions from our nation's power plants. And
0: power plants are where we— uh, are, are The where single we
1: get... largest source yeah. of carbon emissions in the United States. Right.
0: And so, as you can imagine— uh, right-wingers, power plant companies, oil, gas, coal uh, are, uh, executives are absolutely insane Appocratic. frothing. Uh, yeah, and so we'll have more on that in a bit. But first, writing over at Politico over the weekend, Ken Vogel, Tarini Party, and Theodoric Meyer wrote that the flood of seven-figure contributions to outside groups supporting presidential candidates Officially reported for the first time on Friday illustrates in stark terms how the unprecedented political buying power of wealthy donors has fundamentally shifted U.S. presidential campaigns. The 67 67 biggest donors, each of whom gave $1 million or more, donated more than three times as much as the 508,000 smallest donors combined. According to a Politico analysis of reports filed with the Federal Elections Commission and the Internal Revenue Service, that 60, the 67 biggest donors donated more than three times as much as half a million of the smallest donors to all of the different uh, presidential candidates. This is just amazing. The 67 mega donors accounted for 128 million dollars in cash to super PACs supporting specific 2016 presidential candidates. In all, Politico's analysis found that 29 super PACs and other big money nonprofits dedicated to the candidates combined to raise $271 million from just 9,500 donors for an average donation of $29,000. Do you have $29,000 to give to a super PAC? I didn't think so. On the ledger's other side of Politico rights, the analysis found that donors who gave $200 or less to the candidates' campaigns and whose donations are estimated at just $75 each combined to donate just $38 million to the campaigns of the 21 announced candidates. So... Man, uh, what kind of a difference is this? Obscene, frankly. Big money going to play in 2016. Is this going to be an election like nothing we have ever seen before in this country? It certainly seems like that's the case. Um, but before we get to that, uh, I want to talk to one of the uh, one of the articles uh, writers, Tarini Party, about that and about what happened over the weekend out here in California, in Dana Point. Where Charles and David Koch, the infamous Koch brothers of Koch Industries, uh, invited a number of Republican uh, candidates for the uh, 2016 nomination out to uh, what used to be a super-secret summer meeting. Now it was, now it is somewhat less secret. Uh, as the Candidate Forum was actually streamed online. But boy, oh boy, a lot of millionaires and billionaires gathered out here in California for a very select few and lucky Republican candidates with the Koch brothers. Uh, Tarini Party is a, a politic, uh, political writer over at Politico. She joins us now. Uh, Tarini, welcome to the broadcast.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Sure. Okay, before we get into this uh These amazing numbers that uh, Politico has put together from the uh, FEC filings that just became available, I guess, last week. Um, What happened over the weekend uh, with the Koch brothers? I want to get into that a little bit. Who was invited? Who was not invited? uh, And what happened? And and I want to talk about how Politico itself played a bit of a role in this uh, this event over the weekend. So uh, let's start there. What happened? Who, who did the Koch brothers allow to uh, come on by and, and who did they not allow to come on by?
2: Sure. So uh, the Koch brothers, or their political network, um, have these seminars, as they call them, uh, twice a year, uh, and they had uh, their summer uh, conference this past weekend. Uh, There were about 450 wealthy donors uh, who are part of this network uh, that attended this conference. Um, In addition, uh, for the first time, uh, uh, they opened up uh, the conference to about 10 media outlets, uh, and Politico was one of them. Um, so we had two reporters there, uh, one of whom, um, Mike Allen, uh, was asked to, uh, you know, to moderate interviews with, with the candidates who were present. So there was Carly Fiorina, Jeb Bush, uh, Scott Walker, Ted Cruz, uh, and Marco Rubio. Um, and we had uh, full editorial control of the questions, um, and we got a few minutes each with uh, each of the presidential candidates
0: and uh, well, since you since you mentioned that Mike Allen's role in this, I know that I believe they had asked uh, Jake Tapper of CNN originally to uh, to be the moderator for these uh, for these candidates. Um, and and he turned it down. There was some concern that, you know, Mike Allen, he, he writes a, a political tip sheet each day. Very popular. Should uh, somebody like Mike Allen, I realize you can't speak for Politico in general here, but should someone like Mike Allen aligned with a media outlet, align himself with the Koch brothers in moderating their forum as you see it?
2: Um, well, so John Carl of ABC had done this before, mm-hmm. um, so last time they had this conference, it wasn't open to reporters uh, other than John Carl, who did moderate the panel, but they live-streamed it uh, to other reporters, um, as we did this time. We live-streamed it to uh, viewers and uh, other reporters who weren't invited, um, and I guess the, the decision, uh, you know, obviously um, different outlets decided uh, whatever they wanted, but um, our thinking was that it was sort of impor- important to inform readers about what these politicians actually tell donors um, the opportunity to, to do that uh, seemed to sort of outweigh, um, you know, any other, uh, you know, more ethical uh, concerns that have come up, um, you know, especially uh, since we did have editorial control. And um, it is, you know, rare to get this time with uh, donors and, you know, also see uh, politicians and presidential candidates, um, you know, sort of audition in front of uh, these wealthy donors.
0: And one of the uh, organizations one of the media organizations that declined to come out was New York Times, as I understand it. and one of the reasons was was because uh, media organizations who were allowed to cover it also had to agree to not report the names of the four hundred and fifty millionaires and billionaires uh, who were there unless those millionaires and billionaires agreed to have their name reported. Is that something that, uh also should be done and again i i realize you don't speak for politico and this was not necessarily your decision either way but it, you know it is an elephant in the living room it, it, is is that something that we should be comfortable with those kind of restrictions i'm not sure as a media person myself uh well i don't know how i would uh, how i would fall if you know if i was given those kind of restrictions that i couldn't actually report who was there
2: mm-hmm. well we we could talk to the donors who were there and did, and uh you know Ken uh, my colleague did quote uh, some of the donors who were there and um, I think in in some ways it is like covering any other event. you introduce yourself as a reporter and you talk to them um, and you know you uh, and see what they say and uh in 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 this way, I mean a lot of donors are kind of hesitant to. Um, get their name out and press much. so uh, it's hard to reach them. You know when you try to call them or email them, it is hard to reach them. At least in this case, they were mm-hmm. sort of there, and you could ask them the questions and kind of use that uh, at least to uh, you know form your reporting or mm-hmm. uh, you know base the story off of. So um, you know again, obviously I was not responsible for making this decision, but yeah. um, my understanding is that it was important for us to um, inform readers uh, about what these politicians are telling the donors
0: yeah, it's a strange uh, it's a strange sort of place to be in, and I understand the dilemma you're in. I'm not sure what my decision would would be. i I think that uh, these guys have been so secretive for so many years. Um I'm wondering, uh, does opening it up the way they did to uh, I guess a select group of reporters. I mean, they didn't open the door for anybody who wanted to come. You had to make an agreement. Uh, and then streaming some of these uh, candidate, Uh, forums with, uh, who, who, who do we have Uh, Carly Fiorona, uh, uh, Fiorona, Jeb Bush, Scott Walker, uh, Marco Rubio. Who did I miss? Uh, and Ted Cruz. They were allowed to be there. Notably the front runner in the Republican party. Donald Trump was, he was not there. Was he not invited or did he just decline to come?
2: He was not invited. Uh, we also know that the Cope the network is sort of uh, trying to freeze him out. Uh, they are not happy about uh, his uh, candidacy. Uh, and it's interesting because a lot of uh, the staffers who are running his campaign, uh, you know, are affiliated or were affiliated at some point uh, with the Cope network. So there is overlap there. But uh, the Cope network and the brothers have made it pretty clear that they do not support him and uh, aren't exactly thrilled with his uh, White House bid.
0: So a little less secrecy here, and uh, uh, Torini Party, as you point out, uh, they, they have these meetings twice a year. They've been having them for years, and uh, up until lately, they've been super, super secret. Now, back in 2011, I think it was 2011... Uh, I was the first one, I believe, to report on what actually went on inside those meetings. I, I broke the story over at uh, Mother Jones and at Bradblog.com when I was able to obtain secret recordings of what actually went on inside these, uh, uh, inside the summit. A secret recording of uh, Charles and David Koch both speaking. Chris Christie was the keynoter that year, uh, and we had the full audio and, and published that. And then a year or so later... Uh, Lauren Windsor, I believe, over at uh, Undercurrent, also was able to get inside audio, and now it seems like they're saying, well, if they're going to record us anyway, we might as well just make it public, or at least make some of it public. Uh, Do do you have a sense, uh, Torini, is that what this is about? Is that why suddenly... Uh, uh charles Koch's speech was available was you know was made public and and these uh, candidate forums were now made public and is it enough when it comes to secrecy regarding this group as you see it
2: yeah i mean i think that uh the coke the network and and the brothers are, are are doing everything they can um it seems uh recently to sort of uh, change the image. Um, uh, you know, obviously, Democrats have spent a lot of money, and especially in the past year, uh, portraying them as these evil brothers who come in and spend a lot of money. So uh, they've been trying to, uh, you know. Send out a different message. They've uh, bought a lot of coke industries. Has bought a lot of um, airtime, and they've been uh, you know airing these very positive um, ads on you know popular TV during popular TV shows. Um, so they're definitely trying uh, to change uh, at least the image that they that, that's out there. Um, they're you know trying to be more transparent. Uh, obviously, they opened up. Uh, part of the conference, as you mentioned, to reporters for the first time. They did live stream uh, the the forum uh, for their last conference. Um, And they last year formed a super PAC, which uh, files to the FEC. And you can see uh, names of donors and uh, how they're spending their money, uh, which is different from the other Koch groups, which are nonprofits and uh, are not required to disclose their donors.
0: So, there are, so so there's a mix of money here, right? Some, some of the donors are disclosed and others are not, and that's at the choosing of uh, either the Koch brothers or any of these uh, organizations that, that create these super PACs, which do disclose, but these so-called social welfare nonprofit organizations, which do not disclose, that's left up to the Koch brothers and, and these other groups, right, as far as who is disclosed and who is not?
2: In a way, yeah, I mean, the super PAC is the only one that files to the FEC uh, unless some of these groups, um, you know, explicitly name, uh, you know, candidates uh, in terms of um, asking viewers to either vote for or against a candidate, uh, things like that. Uh, They would run into uh, disclosure requirements where they would have to file with the FEC. uh, But for the most part, they do what uh, are called issue ads. Where you know they might uh, criticize a candidate, uh, you know, based on a certain issue, and say call your senator or representative or whatever. Um, and for those ads, uh, which are counted as issue ads, they would not, you know, they would be fine and would not have to report to the FEC.
0: But uh, Turini, doesn't it? You, you know, it's your report here in Politico that talks about this flood of seven-figure contributions and the fact that they can decide who is disclosed and who is not, and at the same time. Uh, many of these packs are specifically, uh, you know, for a specific, uh, you know, for a specific candidate. Doesn't make it a joke when they then say, oh, we're not for or again. Or actually, I guess I'm having trouble trying to understand. Help me out, Torini. Mm-hmm. When we have these super PACs that are, let's say it's a super PAC for uh, Ted Cruz, a trio of super PACs supporting Texas Senator Ted Cruz's campaign for the GOP presidential nomination raised Thirty six million dollars from just six donors. Their checks amounted to about two and a half times more than Cruz's presidential campaign has raised since it was launched in March. So, uh, you know, just these handful of groups, six donors, are those the donors that are disclosed because they're part of the super PACs? Yes.
2: Yes. So all the so super PACs file to the Federal Election Commission, and mm-hmm. uh, we get to see, you know, the donors, uh, you know, how much money they're giving, uh, you know, e- even their address is listed, um, uh, and we also get to see how these super PACs are spending their money. Um, it's the nonprofits that, uh, you know, are referred to sometimes as dark money or, mm-hmm. um, you know, anonymous uh, political spending uh, is what we don't get to see.
0: And those are the groups, the super PACs, uh, while they disclose, I guess, on a quarterly basis... Uh those are the ones that are not supposed to be actually coordinating with the candidates correct
2: Exactly and you know obviously uh campaigns are uh, really pushing the limits as we've seen uh, this time around we saw uh Jeb Bush uh, who Raise, who uh, you know sort of timed his announcement date uh, to capitalize on how much money mm-hmm. uh, he could raise. So he um, was fundraising for his super PAC uh, for six months uh, and then announced. So obviously now he can't coordinate or fundraise on behalf of the super PAC. Uh, but he did already you know he did that for six months and was able to sort of uh, you know raise more than a hundred million dollars and go into the the presidential race with a lot of money already in the bank
0: uh, uh, during the so-called exploratory phase. Right. When he's not really running, but he raises a hundred million dollars for the super PACs, then says, "Okay, guys, uh, I'm done. We can't coordinate anymore. So take that hundred million dollars and go crazy. Good luck to you. I I mean, doesn't that make a joke? A, doesn't that make a joke out of the system? And B, the Federal Election Commission, while we've talked many times on this program how they are essentially now broken, uh, they've become toothless because you've got three Republicans and three Democrats uh, and and really the Republicans who are not willing to enforce any laws. Uh, and so nothing moves forward from that group. But whether they're allowed to enforce the law or not is what George W. Bush did Not George W. Bush, Jeb Bush. I'm sorry. Jeb Bush Mm -hmm. raising $100 million before he officially announces uh, for his super PACs. Is that legal? Never mind whether it's enforced. Is it legal as you understand it, according to our current campaign laws, Tarini?
2: Well, you know, a lot of lawyers, uh, a lot of Democratic lawyers have filed complaints with the FEC. Obviously, it remains to be seen what will happen with that. But, you know, given that he was not an announced candidate, Mm -hmm. um, there is a lot of murky uh, gray area, and it could very well be legal. So it's one of those things where... Um, The FEC needs to decide, because if they don't uh, figure this out, uh, you know, this is the future of presidential campaigns. So um, if they don't do anything about it and it's considered, you know, legal um, for the next presidential cycle, all candidates will be doing this. Um, And like I said, he wasn't an announced candidate. So um, it is, you know, it's hard to say whether, uh, for me, whether it was legal or not. But obviously some lawyers, um, Democratic lawyers, have taken issue with it and have filed um, their complaints.
0: And to be fair, uh, the four super PACs supporting Democratic frontrunner Hillary Clinton this year, uh, writes Politico, uh, combined to raise nearly $27 million from 1,900 donors. Uh, That's compared to $103 million that was raised by uh, Jeb Bush's uh, uh, PACs. But it's still a lot of money. It still seems to be an obscene amount of money. Um, uh, My friend and uh, colleague Tom Hartman had Jimmy Carter on his uh, radio program and he asked him about this and i'd love to get uh... your thoughts on this uh... Tarini. here was uh, uh... tom hartman asked jimmy carter uh... you know how this year is different and how the all of these numbers that we're talking about whether we really even have democracy anymore uh, in the united states the political principles for example our supreme court has now said you know, unlimited money in politics—it seems a violation of principles of democracy. In the minute or so we have left, your thoughts on that?
3: It violates the essence of of what made America a great country in its political system. Uh, now it's just an oligarchy with a with unlimited political bribery being the essence of getting the nominations for pres, for president or elected president. And the same thing applies to governors and U.S. senators and. And Congress members, so now we've just seen a complete subversion of our political system uh, as a payoff to major contributors who want and expect and sometimes get favors uh, for themselves after the election's over.
0: That uh, damning words from the, uh, from the former president of the United States, unlimited political bribery, subversion of our political system. Uh, Tarini Party. Uh, any thoughts on, uh, on, on, on those thoughts from the former president of the United States, Jimmy Carter?
2: Those are definitely some strong words. Um, I mean, and we hear that uh, from Democrats. Uh, You know, even even Hillary Clinton has said that on the campaign trail, Uh, you know, not the exact same language, but she has uh, denounced, uh, you know, super PAC spending and um, uh, unlimited um, contributions to these outside groups. Um, But, you know, uh, they've said at the end of the day, this is the system. It's not going to change, or, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, it's not going to change. And uh, if if you want to win elections, this is the only way to do it. So, um, you know, Harry Reid, who uh, goes on the Senate floor, often, um, you know, criticizing the Koch brothers and uh, big money, you know, he uh, his, his former aides have a super PAC uh, that funds a lot of uh, Democratic Senate candidates. So, um, you know, there's a realization that uh, if they don't participate in this current system, um, they're not going to win elections. So, um, you know, it's easy, easier for former President Carter to say something like that because he's not, you know, running. <laughs> uh, but for, um, for anyone else, that, that, you know, there's clearly uh, an understanding that they have to play within the rules.
0: Do you see anything, uh, Terrini, do you see anything that will will give? I mean, we hear on, uh, on the Democratic side, the progressive side, you know, calls for all sorts of things, from a new constitutional amendment uh, to the uh, Disclose Act uh, to try to disclose more of these donors to attempts to uh, get the IRS to do their job and not give nonprofit status to these uh, so-called social welfare organizations who are clearly doing politics. Uh so we see a lot of 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 noise and concern about that on the democratic side. Do you see anything any hope on the republican side that there are similar concerns that now uh you know when you've got as you write 67 of the biggest donors uh you know giving more than 3 times as much as half a million of the small donors combined Do do you do you get any sense from your sources on the Republican side that they, too, are concerned about this and that they're willing to do something about it? Or is this are are they happy with this uh, the way this works out for them on the Republican side now?
2: Well, on the federal level, um, I can tell you there is zero appetite uh, for any kind of campaign finance reform. Uh, but on the state level, uh, there are actually some conservatives. Uh, we, you know, we saw recently in the, in the Texas um, uh, legislature uh, there was some movement to get uh, campaign finance reform bills passed, uh, especially dealing with disclosure um, there's there are bipartisan efforts, um, at least on disclosure of that uh, of the anonymous political spending that we discussed earlier, uh, to at least get some disclosure on that. Um, so not so much in terms of uh, you know uh, limiting. Uh, contributions to super PACs or anything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, in, at least in terms of getting disclosure, there is some movement, but only on the state level.
0: We are just in a whole new, uh, a whole new world, it seems to me, uh, Torini. Is there any sense, do, do looking back as you've been covering this for Politico, is this like anything we have ever seen or is, is it just totally different from what we've had in history and totally different even from what we saw as recently as, you know, uh, the 2012 campaign? is it, are these uh, a whole a whole new ball game at this point?
2: Definitely a whole new ball game. Uh in in 2012, you know, there were super PACs, but it was sort of the first uh presidential cycle with super PACs. They were still figuring them out. They were still uh you know, especially on the democratic side, there was still a uh, reluctance to give uh to the super PAC. Um and you know, in, in the end of the, at the end of the day, they didn't spend or raise nearly as much money as what has already been uh raised. So um, you know, we're going to see a lot more uh, super PACs raising money, a lot more uh, spending coming from super PACs instead of uh, campaigns. Um, and you know, obviously, this is just uh, the first six months of the presidential cycle.
0: Before I let you go, one more question for you, Tarini. And I realize, uh, you know, earlier I was asking you to sort of speak for Politico. Uh, so just to make matters worse, I'm going to sort of ask you to speak for the Koch brothers uh, for the moment, because uh, you probably talk to a lot more of the uh, Republican sources than than you know are willing to call me call me back. But one of the things Charles Koch said uh, on Sunday at this speech, and, and your colleague Ken Vogel uh, covered it, was essentially comparing their plight to the civil rights movement, uh, which was amazing to me. He, he, he said, they all sought to overcome an injustice, and we too are seeking to right injustices that are holding our country back. Uh, can you give me any sense of what do do they believe that? Do they actually believe they are in a fight for civil rights or, or that parallels the fight for civil rights? Can you explain? And, and if you can't, I understand. But can you help me understand their mindset that even compares the fight that these rich millionaires and billionaires are going through to towards that of the, the fight for uh, for civil rights just to help me understand it better?
2: I mean my understanding is that they definitely believe in in the cause and in, in the conservative cause, and they are willing to spend as we know as much as eight hundred and eighty nine million dollars uh, in in the twenty sixteen election cycle uh, to nonprofits and other groups uh, that are going to help them uh, you know deregulate and um, push for causes that they believe in uh, one of which uh, is now uh, criminal justice reform um, which is uh, becoming a more you know bipartisan issue um, and so that you know when in, in his speech when he talked about uh, comparing the work of their network to uh, civil rights crusaders and you know the American uh, uh, Revolution um, part of the the issue that came up that he mentioned was uh, criminal justice reform um, and that is something that there's you know that they're trying to get uh, bipartisan support from and they're working with Democratic donors. So um, I think that was one of the issues uh, that he was referring to. But obviously, uh, it's something that uh, everyone has has picked up on as sort of, um, you know, a bit of an exaggeration. But, uh, you know, it it definitely got a lot of media attention.
0: Yeah, well, and I guess to that end, uh, mission accomplished. Uh, Tarini uh, party, great speaking with you from uh, Politico. Really appreciate your insight here and helping us to understand uh, this is a whole new uh, world, and I think we're going to need a lot of explanation as this year and year and a half now moves forward. Torini Party, check out her work over at Politico.com. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Uh, yeah, one of the things that uh, <laughs> Charles Koch said uh, was... You know, in addition, the you know, comparing what he was doing to the not just the civil rights movement, but to the American Revolution, the abolitionists, suffragettes. Uh, he said history demonstrates that when the American people get motivated by an issue of justice that they believe is just, extraordinary things can be accomplished. And that's the message for all of us. For the Koch Network, Ken Vogel uh, writes at Politico, the cause is reforming the criminal justice system and reducing government spending and regulation that conservatives believe limits prosperity for all Americans. Or, as Koch put it on Sunday, quote, we aim to remove the shackles preventing all Americans, especially the disadvantaged, from pursuing their dreams. Hard to imagine how spending $889 million, that's almost a billion dollars. In the run-up to the 2016 election can in any way be compared to those who uh, literally were trying to remove the shackles of uh, whether it's a slavery, whether it's trying to get the right to vote, uh, but that's, uh, that's what uh, David Koch did over the weekend. So Charles and David Koch <laughs> uh, never fail to impress uh, one other point, uh, since it was Jimmy Carter uh, speaking with uh, Tom uh, Tom Hartman last week, uh, discussing the oligarchy and the unlimited political bribery that now goes on with money in our government, you know, uh, I just wanted to give uh, kudos to Jimmy Carter because he has always been willing and able to speak out about these sorts of injustices. And I don't know if it's because, uh, as uh, Tarini Party said, we're ta- he's you know not going to have to run for anything ever again, so that frees him up a little bit. But at least he does get to the point and say what needs to be said. Uh, It is a subversion of our political system. But it's not the first time Jimmy Carter did that. Back in 2005, and we played this at the time on this show, he was asked about uh, about both the 2004 election and specifically the 2000 election. And while everyone else had been uh, dancing around the topic, frankly, of both 2000 and 2005, Jimmy Carter was right to the point when it came, at least, to the 2000 election.
3: Well, I would say that in the year 2000, the country failed abysmally in the presidential election process. There's no doubt in my mind that Al Gore was elected president. He received the most votes uh, nationwide, and in my opinion, he also received the most votes in Florida. And the decision was made, as you know, by a 5-4 vote on a highly partisan basis by the U.S. Supreme Court. So I would say in 2000, there was a failure.
0: Yeah, in 2000, there was a failure. And by the way, in 2004, there was yet another failure. Are we headed to another failure in 2016, now that we've got elections that are... (laughs) Seemingly little more than uh, whatever it is that millionaires and billionaires, a handful of them, can purchase in this country. Maybe. We will continue to cover it. Okay, the indictment of the Texas State Attorney General, who may spend the rest of his life in jail. Straight ahead, that and more. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast.
1: Yes, you know what that means.
0: The eyes of Texas are upon you all the long days. So many Texas stories of late. Of uh, and welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from BradBlog.com. We're already in the middle of an historic presidential contest, in that, we've got uh, one of the candidates, one of the major candidates for one of the uh, major political parties. Rick, uh, Rick Perry, former Texas governor, is under felony indictment. Last week we reported on uh, the uh, the two felony indictments he was facing. One of those has now been dropped, but the other one still moves ahead. And yet Rick Perry is running for the nomination in the Republican Party. Well, that's not all of the problems that the uh, uh, Texas Republicans seem to have this year, this week, in fact, uh, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton, who was just elected last November, a Tea Party favorite, he was arrested and booked in Cullen County, Texas, around 10:30 a.m. Monday on three counts of felony securities laws vi- securities law violations that allegedly took place before he became a statewide official in January, according to Chuck Lindell. Over at the American, uh, the Austin American Statesman. He joins us now for details on uh, this latest fine mess in Texas. Chuck Lindell welcomes her to the broadcast. Good to be here. Uh, all right. Well, uh, what do we know so far? And I know there's some weird background that I've been looking into this case, but what do we know right now as far as what is happening today on the ground in Texas with the new state attorney general Ken Paxton?
3: Well, last week a Collin County—Collin uh, County is where Ken Paxton is from. He lives in McKinney there. Mm-hmm. Grand jury there handed up uh, two felony, first-degree felony indictments to go with uh, a third-degree felony that they'd issued earlier. They were sealed. Uh, we had heard that they were there, but we didn't know what they were, what they said. Some details emerged over the weekend, but today everything came to a head the uh, indictments were unsealed, we got to see that there are two first-degree felonies for securities fraud, one for one-third-degree felony for, uh, you know, failing to register as a securities uh, investment broker here with our state agency, regulators. Mm -hmm. The first-degree felonies are punishable for up to life in prison. And uh, today, Ken Paxton surrendered at a The Cowan County Jail got himself fingerprinted, booked, and uh, released within about 20 minutes. He's back here in Austin working, they say.
0: And you noted that first-degree felonies can be punished by life in prison. That seems pretty harsh for securities uh, securities fraud. In this case, uh, I mean, I I welcome it, don't get me wrong, but uh, that's extraordinary. Uh, Apparently he failed to tell... Uh, investors who were friends of his. Do I understand this story right? Uh, he, he basically convinced them to invest in this company, Servergy Inc., but didn't tell them that he was uh, getting a royalty from, from, from that investment. Is that correct?
3: More than that, what we learned today when the indictments were unsealed was um, when he was advising people to buy stock in Servergy, in hmm Servergy, they—he uh, wasn't disclosing that he had received 100,000 shares of this privately held company, or that, uh, and he was holding himself out as an investor in the company when, in fact, he was not. And some of those investors were members of the Texas House where he was serving at the time. And one of the complainants who signed the the complaint, the mm-hmm. the uh, for first-degree felony securities mm-hmm. fraud, was one of his former. House members, a guy named Byron Cook, a pretty powerful Republican committee chairman here in Texas.
0: A Republican, yeah. And I want to underscore that point because they have made, and there was a lot of chatter leading up to uh, uh, the release of these indictments. There was a lot of uh, chatter about them that this could be coming, that grand juries had been convened and so forth. And uh, in response, uh, it it seems like Paxton's uh, uh, people have tried to paint this somewhat as some sort of a, a partisan witch hunt, but here you've got a colleague of his, a Republican from the Texas Statehouse who was one of the two original complainants, correct? Correct,
3: and, you know, the special prosecutors who were appointed to this case, uh, the background of that is the district attorney in Collin County is a former Paxton uh, business associate and friend. Mm-hmm. So they brought in some special prosecutors. Uh, One of them was Tom DeLay's lawyer, who got him off uh, on appeal here in Texas.
0: So the guy who who got Tom DeLay off the hook in this case is one of the two special prosecutors that Ken Paxton is now claiming uh, is uh, on a partisan witch hunt against him because he's a Republican?
3: And that uh, prosecutor is the ever-quotable Brian Weiss. So, if you wrote about legal issues in Texas, you know Brian Weiss.
0: Uh, Right, and and actually, and they had not been quiet about this entire thing as it was moving forward, because I guess uh, Paxton spokesman Anthony Holm had put out a statement uh, going after the two prosecutors in this case. uh, You know, saying that they're oh, they're defense lawyers; they have no business prosecuting. And Schaefer and Weiss, the two prosecutors, actually responded in kind. Before the, uh, you know, I guess while the grand jury was being convened and before the indictments came out, that seems quite unusual. Is that normal for Texas, that before the indictments come down, the prosecutors and the uh, the person being investigated are, are sparring in the media?
3: No, but this is also taking place in the political realm, not merely the legal, so... That's where that's where your, your differences are going to be.
0: And explain the politics behind this. Uh, Ken Paxton, he ran. It was a. It was a. Uh, there there was a partisan primary to become uh, attorney general. He ran against. Uh, was it the former L- lieutenant governor?
3: No, no. He he ran against uh, w- one of the folks he ran against was a guy named Dan Branch, mm-hmm. who was a, a longtime lawyer and also from the Texas House, uh, served many many terms in the Texas House more of a moderate republican whereas ken paxton you call him a tea party darling and that is absolutely correct
0: and he took the job that was uh... state attorney general that was former uh, greg abbott who's now the governor he was formerly the attorney general until greg abbott last year became governor so you got ken paxton tea party favorite who uh... after the supreme court recently uh... you know found that uh, marriage equality was allowed across the country paxton had actually said to county clerks, that they didn't even have to uh, I- enforce this? They didn't have to give licenses for uh, same-sex marriages? Do I understand that correctly?
3: Yeah, he said they could take uh, what of my conscientious objector status and not issue licenses to same-sex couples if there was somebody else in the office who could handle that. He did also note that uh, if there's nobody in your office available to issue these licenses, you could probably most likely be sued and uh,
0: we can't help you. (laughs) Okay, well... They were on their own. Yeah. All right. Well, nonetheless, his, his, uh, let's say, uh, far-right bona fides are quite clear, it seems to me, uh, when it comes to this guy. Uh, And yet, one of the the pieces, as I've been looking into this story, and I don't know if you have any uh, reporting on this or not, but one of the claims they were making, according to the New York Times, uh, is that there was grand jury tampering? That a blogger apparently somehow uh, accessed some of the folks who were in the grand jury, and I don't know how he did this. I, I presume grand jury, uh, grand juries are secret still in Texas, right? We don't, we're not supposed to know who serves on those grand juries.
3: The proceedings are secret, but we all we do know who's on the grand jury, and he he sent information about Ken Paxton to a previous grand jury. Ah. Not the one that's sitting now. The one that's sitting now was kept secret to avoid any looks or anything that looked like shenanigans.
0: So this was this blogger Ty Clevenger, I believe is his name, and and he looks as well like a far right winger. He's talking about Slick Willie, uh, claiming that you know Bill Clinton had raped women, and saying that uh, you know not to compare him to a rapist, but saying that uh, their party, that Republicans must be as strict against their own people as they tried to be against Democrats. So even this uh, guy who is—what uh, did he do? He delivered papers to a previous grand jury to try to uh, try to get at Ken Paxton?
3: Try to get them interested in looking into him, yes. And th-
0: what is I, I guess th- I should—I mean, this yeah. is
3: what I've been told. I haven't done any looking into this myself. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, Yeah, it's it's a very strange uh, circumstance, and I know that Ken Paxton had already. There was a state charge, was there not, prior to these uh, federal indictments this week?
3: What happened was right four weeks before he went into his primary election against Dan Branch, guy we talked about a little while ago. Yeah, he admits that he was. He signs a, a, a reprimand from the state securities board, saying, "Yes, I admit." I didn't file the correct paperwork. I didn't register as a securities advisement, uh, investment advisor, mm-hmm. which is required by state law. And he was given an official reprimand and fined $1,000. But that was that's in the civil realm. Mm-hmm. Some uh, legis some people in the legislature here who we don't know the names of, and some liberal watchdog groups said, wait a minute, this could be prosecuted as a third-degree felony failure to register. Why isn't this being done? And they filed criminal complaints. And -hmm. that's how we ended up over the past year where we were today with an indicted and arrested the Attorney General here in Texas.
0: A conviction for first-degree felony, according to the Times in Texas, uh, can carry a punishment of life in prison or a sentence of 5 to 99 years. Third degree is punishable by a sentence of 2 to 10 years. And they go on to point out the irony that uh, (laughs) Attorney General Ken Paxton, when he was a a freshman representative in the Texas House in 2003, He actually voted to amend the state securities laws to make it a felony to act as an investment advisor representative without being registered. The very crime that the grand jury accuses him of now committing. He may have only himself to blame, I guess, here if if he gets a uh, harsh punishment, according to the law, because that's what he supported. What is the response now uh, today from Republicans and uh, uh, Democrats alike down there? Are they predictably uh splitting into their two sides as we saw <laughs> with uh, Rick Perry or
3: can t- t- you believe it the democratic party called for Ken Paxton to step down the republican party said uh he's doing a fine job and it's uh every you know, th- this is still innocent until proven guilty and uh, this needs to play out the but- governor uh, Greg Abbott mm-hmm. and Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick both republicans of course um stopped a little short of embracing Ken Paxton and both issued statements saying, hey, this is a law first step in a long legal process, and uh, we have every confidence that the legal process will play out correctly didn't exactly
0: embrace them. Yeah, well, I'm actually surprised the Republican Party came out as strongly as they did, given the fact that, you know, as you said, uh, uh, Chuck Lindell, the original complaint was from a Republican uh, in the state house. You've got a Republican prosecutor. I think the judge is a Republican, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in this particular case, in a very conservative county. So. Um interesting before I let you go uh, just an update on uh, Rick Perry now only only facing one felony as he runs for president of the United States what is the uh, what is the status on his case and when if ever can we look forward to that case actually uh, 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 coming to trial
3: Well what happened was last week our mid-level a state appeals court threw out one of the charges but kept the kept the abuse of power charge Uh, for his threatened veto of state money for uh, Mm -hmm. our local prosecutor here in Travis County. Um, Perry's Perry's lawyers promised to take that to the highest criminal court in Texas to try to get that last charge thrown out. They still have two pending motions in the trial court to try to get the charges thrown out. Um, They are on target now, depending on what happens on that last appeal, for a trial that could take place as early as December or right before primary season opens up. Oh,
0: man. Uh, yeah, I, first voting begins in January, and uh, I, I can't see how Rick Perry, if those charges are not, if that last uh, remaining felony charge is not thrown out, I don't know how he can run a presidential campaign while he's on trial, but that's the plan as of now, correct?
3: That is the plan, and if you remember last primary season there was a flavor of the month in the republican primary and you know who who knows what's going to play out there this time
0: uh who knows indeed chuck lindell state capitol reporter for the austin american statesman appreciate you joining us here on very short notice today uh but you've been very helpful and i hope we'll uh, talk to you again in the future chuck take care thank you Okay, a quick break, and we're back uh, with more Bradcast on a very busy news day. I'm Brad Friedman. Please stay tuned. It is on. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. All right, I've been trying to get to this for a while, and I guess the uh, president of the United States gives me a perfect excuse to do it today. Uh, Before we get to the president, and Desi will uh, help us out with that in a moment, Murray Energy Corporation founder and CEO Robert Murray is righteously angry, that's a quote, over the Obama administration and coal opponents, who he says are, quote, intent on destroying coal and our country for their bizarre personal and political ends. (laughs) What is behind this destruction of our jobs and livelihood, asks Robert Murray of Murray Energy. Mind you, Murray Energy is, I think, the largest uh, power company, largest coal company uh, in in the United States. I think it's
1: the largest privately owned. Uh,
0: He goes on to say, it is a political power grab of America's power grid. That's why Obama is doing what he's doing. Uh, This was in a uh, prepared remarks to the Ohio County, West Virginia Republican Party about a week or two ago. Robert Murray said that this is being done to radically transform American society. How better to do it than to get control of the availability, reliability and cost of electricity, a staple of life. Of course, uh, folks in uh, West Virginia The uh, uh, Bo Webb, campaign director for Appalachian Community Health Emergency Campaign, says, no, it's got nothing to do with grabbing power. As a matter of fact, in West Virginia, Democrats are as pro-coal as Republicans, pretty much. Uh, It's not about grabbing power. It's about uh, capitalism. It's the free market. It's the fact that fracking and natural gas has now become cheaper than coal. Yeah. So (laughs) that's what this is about. And uh, yet uh, Robert Murray... Of uh, Murray Energy says this is a, a naked power grab. Speaking of naked power grabs, Desi Doyen, today, the president of the United States announced uh, his plan for reducing carbon emissions across all 50 states. Clearly, his naked power grab. Tell us about what uh,
1: <laughs> what that's about well, today. Well, it's, it's called the Clean Power Plan, and these are the final rules that follow the draft rules. They received 4 million comments, the EPA did, on the draft rules. The final rules uh, have... Against little, them?
0: Are, against, uh, no, the, four
1: and against. Four, four million and against, total. Right? And they adjusted the uh, Clean Power Plan to account for that. Uh, it's going to require states to cut emissions 32%. Uh, by 2030. And each state has a specifically tailored plan that is uh, specific to its own energy mix, what it has right now and what its capacity for adding renewables is. And it's a it's a huge deal. This is historic and landmark. There have never been power plant emissions rules ever in place, ever.
0: And this is what this this has been a decades long fight, right? This this fight goes back to this is why George W. Bush did not want to open his email Ah, uh, with the finding from the EPA that right. uh, carbon emissions cause uh, global warming because if so, the Supreme Court has decided the administration, the EPA, must take action by law under the clean power, uh, uh, uh,
1: Clean Air Act correct? correct. there was a there was a lawsuit that said essentially that the Supreme Court ruled. That the EPA is required to regulate greenhouse gas emissions if it finds that they are an endangerment to human health, which of course the EPA then, using all the available science, the best science, discovered that oh yeah, hey, carbon emissions are an endangerment to human health. So that's why these these specific uh, power plan rules have been put into place, and they will be a huge deal, uh, and they will they will work because they're 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 built to withstand any following court challenges.
0: Well, we'll see if they work uh, because they are going to obviously be challenged, but. But uh, it is not, as it turns out, a naked power grab. It is just the rule of law. Imagine that. Uh, President Obama spoke about this uh, new plan today and specifically about the critics that he knows will be coming, that he knows are already here and how they're offering the same arguments that, frankly, they have been offering for decades uh, for all kinds of uh, safety regulations that the EPA and others have Air pollution, have water yeah.
1: pollution, all of that, It's yes. the
0: same old case. Here's uh, the president speaking about it today. The kinds of
4: criticisms that you're going to hear are simply excuses for inaction. They're not even good business sense. They underestimate American business and American ingenuity. In 1970, when Republican President Richard Nixon decided to do something about the smog that was choking our cities, they warned that the new pollution standards would decimate the auto industry. It didn't happen. Catalytic converters worked. Taking the lead out of gasoline worked. Our air got cleaner. And you fast-forward 30, 40 years later, and we solved those problems. But at the time, The same characters who are going to be criticizing this plan were saying, this is going to kill jobs. This is going to destroy businesses. This is going to hurt low-income people. It's going to be wildly expensive. And each time they were wrong.
0: Each time they were wrong. It happens every single time. So that's just, uh, we know that's coming, right? Yes. We, we can look forward to that in the days and weeks ahead as this plan rolls out. We will have more on this, uh, no doubt, on the Green News Report later this week and probably right here on the broadcast as well. My thanks, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer, our, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Torini Party of Politico, and Chuck Lindell, of the Austin American Statesman. We'll be back with you, same Brad time, same Brad channel, tomorrow. Until then, if you missed any portion of today's broadcast, you can download it at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can. My email address is bradcast at bradblog.com. And, of course, you can find and follow me on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Blog. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.